all of these reasons underscore the fact that the restaurant industry as a discreet, unique, and super enjoyable concept has not been disrupted, and it'll be very difficult for it to be disrupted. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff. And I did an episode a few weeks ago where I discussed how the opportunity that exists now for independence to compete with the chains was at an all-time high in terms of being able to achieve a level of parity. And I received a number of emails from people, and one of the themes that came through in those emails was whether or not now is a good time to open a restaurant, what is the future of the restaurant space, Questions along those lines and, and, and looking at the restaurant business as something that is viable and and attractive and all of that going forward. So I said to myself, let me do an episode that is really dedicated to answering those questions and addressing the issues in those emails because I found them to be very interesting. And it's something that I have some thoughts on. So I'm just going to jump right into it. I think now is one of the best times, if not the best time, to open a restaurant in the past several decades. And the reason I say that, there are several reasons actually, but the first reason or the first general concept that we need to look at in answering that question is what have we learned over the past nine or 10 months? What have these last nine or 10 months done to reshape the industry and make it a better business opportunity, a more sustainable one, a more robust, a more versatile all of the things that you want in a business, what have we learned over the past nine or 10 months that we can incorporate into a new restaurant concept or deploying an existing concept into new locations? And I think we've learned a lot. And I think we've learned a lot that make the restaurant business a much more robust and resilient business than it was before. As anyone who's in the business knows, it's a very challenging business. It can be exceptionally lucrative. It can be very gratifying on a personal level. It's an art form in its own way. But if not done properly, the risks are many. And it's a tough business. So these past nine, 10 months have really been a stress test on the business. And a lot of lessons have come out of it that I've identified. Curious to know what you guys think. You know, you can email me at some point after you listen to this. But I just want to jump right into it now and defend the thesis that now is an unbelievable time. The first thing is this. During the past nine or 10 months, I would argue that there was no business that was more front and center in the news, in print media, in digital media than restaurants. When are restaurants going to open? What's the status of how far they can open? All of those different things. The fact that restaurants got so much attention during the last 10 months is a clear indication that it is a business that people care about and a business that they love. This is not an obsolete industry that we're in. It's an industry that's absolutely elemental to American society. 
And the fact that it was all over the news is indicative of that. So we know that there's been an enormous amount of attention directed at this industry, which obviously leads me to conclude that there's enough interest in it, that the the interest that we've seen and the attention it's received in the media is indicative of the fact that people miss being able to participate and enjoy restaurants the way they used to. And in fact, I don't have the exact number, you can Google it, but I remember reading somewhere, in fact, a few places, that what people have missed most during the pandemic has been the ability to go to their favorite restaurant or bar, celebrate with friends, enjoy a meal out. So the first thing we have to know is it is now proven that people love going to restaurants. There's been a lot of talk over the past several years about how meal delivery changed the game, how these companies where they'll send you ingredients and you cook the food has changed the game. I think that that has been more or less disproven. And I don't mean to make things totally binary because they're not. In the experience of enjoying food uh, in America, there's a multitude of experiences. So it's not binary, but the notion that people are going to stop going out to eat or stop wanting to go out to eat or that that experience itself is, is somehow on the decline, I believe is totally false. And I believe that the past nine or 10 months has demonstrated that. And it's always good to have demonstrable data reinforcing your opinion. So we know that people miss this experience. We know people want to participate in it, and it's been shown. The second thing that we've learned during this period of time is that the restaurant industry is in many ways one of the least susceptible industries there is for disruption. And that's probably a controversial comment when people just hear it without really thinking deeply about what I'm saying, which I will get into now. Disruption of businesses has been a very well-worn concept over the past several years. Uber disrupted taxis, Airbnb disrupted hotels, on and on, the notion of disruption. Well, we've been in a period of time where people say that the utilization of technology, which would have been accomplished in five years, has been condensed into 10 months. And I don't see how the restaurant industry has been fundamentally disrupted. And there's a lot of reasons for that. The first is, when you go out to eat in a restaurant, when you go out and and dine or go to a bar, that's a radically unique and different experience than, say, meeting with an accountant, working in an office, going to college. Those activities, meeting with a variety of professionals, can easily be done digitally. You can meet with your accountant on a Zoom call or on a FaceTime and convey all the information that you need to do. You can be a student in a college. This has been shown before the uh, past 10 months. You can get a university degree completely remotely. There's no real negative, let's say, in in, in meeting with your accountant, meeting with uh, any professional you think of uh, remotely than there is in person. Now, if you're a university student, of course, you don't get the campus life. You don't get to interact with your peers. You don't get that whole vibe, which you do miss. But in terms of being able to convey information, absorb information, uh, repeat that information, all of those things can be done remotely and digitally beautifully. Not so with the experience of being in a restaurant with people, with friends, on a first date, with family. So that experience of being in a restaurant has not been one that migrates easily and seamlessly to a virtual space, unlike the aforementioned industries that I mentioned. Second of all, and this is so key, takeout and delivery 
are not new concepts. People need to really understand that. I was born in 1970. My mom and I would get takeout. My father would join as well. We would get takeout pizza. We would get takeout Chinese food. We would get takeout food from the local diner, from local restaurants. This is not a new concept, okay? So what we have to understand is takeout and delivery are not new concepts. So what's changed? The utilization of apps such as Grubhub, Uber Eats, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that we're learning over the past 10 months, and I think this is going to accelerate, those apps... If the restaurant community bands together, and if other people who can truly be disruptors get into the space, those apps are potentially very vulnerable. They don't exist without restaurants for whom they deliver. Now, there's no question in my mind that Grubhub and DoorDash would love to set up industrial kitchens, throw up 30 or 40 virtual menus, deliver to everybody, and cut out the restaurants and maximize their margins. That's not going to happen so easily. It's going to happen to a certain extent, but to the extent it happens can be dramatically reduced, if not eliminated entirely, if there are better solutions utilized for takeout and delivery. Many of our customers at Wilco Foods have already refused to list their restaurants on third-party apps. Why? They have such brand loyalty, they have such great customer loyalty, they've figured out a way to do the deliveries themselves and not have to give away 20 or 30% of their margin to an app that has a symbiotic relationship with them. So once we understand the takeout and delivery are not new concepts, then we understand them for what they truly are, which is simply complementary to the experience of going into a restaurant. Now we're going to get into virtual kitchens in a little bit, but We just need to understand that takeout and delivery are not a game changer. And what the past 10 months have shown us is those restaurants that are independent restaurants that are willing to put in the time and think creatively about takeout, they've now found a way to engage with their customers and enhance their revenue that they probably would have never found before. There are literally thousands upon thousands of restaurants that are doing phenomenal business for pickup or delivery that never even offered those options before 10 months ago. That's a positive, not a negative. And it's been, and it's going to become more of a positive thing if and when restaurants, and I believe it will happen, find ways to deliver food without relying on third-party apps, find ways to make the pickup experience engaging where they don't have to worry about a third party. So the fact that takeout and delivery is nothing revolutionary sort of helps us to crystallize our thinking a little bit and recognize, okay, so this is complementary. It's not destructive. What is it about dining in a restaurant that makes it a unique experience that has not been and will not be disrupted? There's many things. The first is there's no substitute for having the food come out freshly prepared and you get the opportunity to see the chef's presentation. Dining in whatever form it takes has a high level of artistry associated with it. And that artistry let's just be very kind, is dramatically changed when the food is delivered or when it's picked up. When you have the opportunity to be in the restaurant, you get the full opportunity to to really enjoy the taste, the visual, the sense, all of that. That experience of itself cannot be replicated, cannot be disrupted. People want it, and it has to be done within that context. The second aspect is the cocktail experience. Those restaurants that serve alcohol... Cocktails, as everybody knows, had become something that was growing dramatically 
pre what occurred over the past 10 months. That will come back. Takeout and all of that for cocktails, which we'll get into, is a phenomenal thing. But again, to have one of these really complex cocktails that has to do with smoke and fire and colors and all of the different add-ons, it's, again, let's be kind, it's a dramatically different experience when you get it to go versus what you get inside the restaurant. Cannot be disrupted, cannot be replicated. It is a unique and discreet experience. People miss it. People want to do it. The third thing is something that is really tied into just human psychology, and it takes multiple forms. I can give a few. But the overall concept is people like to be around other people. So if people are going to celebrate a graduation, you can do that at home and have a great party, sure. A lot of times people want to do that in a restaurant. There's no cleaning up. It's a festive environment. You can invite people without all of the different hassles. But let's take an even more obvious concept. People who are in a relationship and who are dating with one another. Let's say both parties in the couple are very proud of the other person that they're dating. They think that person is really beautiful, really handsome. They want to go out and show each other off. Let's say someone purchases a new car or a new bag or a new pair of shoes or a new watch. We can judge it. If we think about it, we say, well, that's really kind of shallow and superficial, and maybe it is, but whatever it may be, from a business standpoint, people like to display themselves in public. It's just something elemental. Thorstein Veblen, the great social theorist, wrote about it in a book called Theory of the Leisure Class. So if you think about it, where can people go and display that new Louis Vuitton bag or that new Rolex watch or that new baseball hat or that new pair of sneakers, whatever it is? There's only a few public venues where you can do that. One of them is a restaurant. So in addition to being social and in addition to us wanting to celebrate in these fun, festive environments where we get catered to and it's not in our house, we don't have to deal with all that, there is something about human beings that like to show off or that like to display themselves when they're proud. Heck, even if you're, forget about the other person, you're feeling really good about yourself, you've been working out hard, you have a great new uh, shirt or a great new suit that you want to wear, you want to show off, you want to display yourself. The restaurant, bar, nightclub, hospitality space is the ideal vehicle for that. That desire on the part of people is not going to go away. People are not going to get super dressed up to order up at home with their significant other. So all of these reasons underscore the fact that the restaurant industry as a discreet, unique, and super enjoyable concept has not been disrupted, and it'll be very difficult for it to be disrupted for the aforementioned reasons. Why now? Why is now a good time to be opening a restaurant or something in the hospitality space? What about this moment in time? Well, the first reason, and these are going to be very business-oriented reasons, but they're very important. The first reason is, depending upon where you live, whether you're in a city or you're in a small town, you're in the suburbs, there's a great deal of commercial real estate available. There have been trends in play that have been going back years, such as e-commerce, that have made the need for commercial real estate for certain activities either unnecessary or certainly far less necessary. This has led to a glut of commercial real estate space. This is something, for example, New York City was dealing with two, three years ago. And the reason is because there are cyclical changes that have gone on, obviously. And the fact of the matter is, unlike a restaurant, which has all of those aforementioned attributes that make it not conducive to being disrupted, 
if I want to buy a copy of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, I can easily do that online versus having to drive, park, go to a Barnes and Noble. Nothing about the experience of the book has changed. So there's a tremendous amount of commercial real estate available, which means that for the first time, if you're in New York City and elsewhere, and it may be the case in many main streets across America, the proposed tenant has a lot of leverage that they would not have had three, four, five years ago. So you can get space for very attractive lease terms, for longer lease terms, for creative arrangements in terms of profit sharing and what have you that you can make with the landlord. I explored these concepts in earlier podcasts, which you could scroll through, and I get into greater detail on that. Second of all, and quite sadly, many restaurants have not been able to weather the past nine, 10 months, tragically. Some of them were planning to retire anyway. Some of them, unfortunately, the circumstances were just insurmountable. The landlords of those spaces are not going to be ripping out all of that equipment and putting in something else if they can avoid it. And a new tenant, because remember, the tenants are the ones in the driver's seat, are not going to absorb those costs themselves, which means that there's going to be an even greater desire on the part of landlords who already have spaces that are configured and designed for restaurants to be leased out to restaurants. That further strengthens your hand when going into the space, which is something that exists now, did not exist four years ago, five years ago. We're at a moment in time where interest rates are incredibly low and the amount of liquidity, the amount of money in the system is incredibly high. Believe me when I tell you that I'm having conversations with or hearing about or people are asking my opinion on a weekly basis about putting money to work in this space. There's an enormous amount of liquidity in the system. People need to put that money to work. And I'm not the only one who has the idea that restaurants, hospitality, whatever, is a good space to do that in. If you follow the activities of some of the industry leaders, such as Tillman Fertitta in Texas, he's been buying up leases and businesses that are in Main Street, Houston. A lot of people are doing that. So those of you that are out there that are going to be seeking to raise money or borrow money, now's a phenomenal time to be doing that for the reasons I mentioned. Interest rates are low. There's a lot of people who want to invest in the space. If you put together the right concept, you're going to have an easier time getting financing or getting investors than you might have at another point. And then the final thing is there's a cyclicality to things. I've been doing this for quite a while. And this has been the most challenging set of circumstances that I've seen the restaurant industry face in my entire career. You could argue we're at a bottom, in a sense. What the industry has been subjected to has really been unprecedented. Cyclically speaking, there's an enormous amount of pent-up demand to enjoy restaurants and the hospitality space again as we move forward and as things become safe to do so. So it's always best to get into something at a part of the cycle when there's a high probability of an upturn coming. So cyclically, it's a good time to be getting into it, just looking at macroeconomic cycles and how they work, okay? So those are the reasons why now, if you're in the mindset to do it, and you've got the concept and you've got the desire to do it, now is the absolute great time to be doing that. And this is something that you wanna think about because timing is very important. A lot of the opportunities that exist now may not exist at a later date. Now we get to the real crux of it. If you agree with me on the aforementioned observations, what type of concepts are going to work? Let's say I want to get into this space. What is the best way to do it at this moment in time? 
Well, the first thing I want to say is if you're going to get into the hospitality space, you want to have maximum optionality in every aspect of the business. What do I mean by that? Ideally, for me, the perfect concept, and again, this isn't for every concept, but you want to be open for as many hours as you can possibly be open. You want to be able to serve and accommodate as many meals as you possibly can accommodate, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snack, after work, happy hour. You want to have a concept where you're utilizing your fixed costs as much as possible, okay? Something a lot of people don't think about, I think now that's something that is absolutely more important than ever to have that type of a concept. You absolutely want to make sure that you have your pickup and your delivery business dialed in. Pickup and delivery is happening at scale. It's going to continue to happen at scale. Remember, it's not revolutionary, but it is being done, and it can be a great way for you to help your business generate more revenue. It's not binary. I'm a huge fan of the pickup concept. I think particularly in cities, as more and more people stay working from home, which is a trend that will continue to some degree for quite some time, I believe, people are going to want to get out of their apartment or their house and pick up the food. They may not have time to eat it in the restaurant. They may not want to eat by themselves, but they're going to want to get out. Create a phenomenal pickup experience so that people are coming to your establishment, gives you a great opportunity to market to them, and of course, you're capturing their sale uh, and delivery. If you can find ways to deliver your own product, do it. If you can't find ways to deliver it, then you'll just have to use whatever resources are available, but have everything dialed in so that your delivery experience is exceptional from the beginning. So you want to have a concept that has that maximum optionality, and you want to have pickup and delivery really dialed in. If possible, particularly in certain urban environments, you're going to want to have a concept, if you can, that serves alcohol. Now, obviously, that's kind of a, an almost unhelpfully broad comment because there's so many great concepts that don't serve alcohol. So it's not a must. But let me rephrase it so that perhaps it makes more sense. Because of the fact that certain cities like New York, and I believe New Jersey as well, allow for restaurants to sell alcoholic beverages and cocktails to go, this has been and will continue to be, so long as it is permitted, a significant revenue stream for these restaurants. So if you are on the fence, it's something to look into. Now, I don't know what the future holds in terms of that being permissible. I'm sure there's going to be pushback from liquor stores and other entities. So this is something you're going to want to look into because it's a great source of revenue. It's something that's relatively new. And if it's something that's going to be made permanent or continue and you are on the fence, it may make sense to go the extra mile and have the ability to serve alcohol because now you're not only going to be able to serve it in your restaurant, but you can do it to go. And I can just imagine a whole new level of to-go cocktails and that being a significant driver of revenue for your business. When you open up your restaurant, again, depending upon where you are and depending upon other factors, you want to be able to have outdoor seating. If we've learned anything over the past 10 months. We want to have optionality. We want to be resilient. We want to have awesome flexibility. So depending upon where you lease, depending upon your concept, if it has a backyard, if it has a courtyard, what are the rules for outdoor dining? Probably a great thing to incorporate into a restaurant just because more people, like for example, here in New York City, Outdoor dining was going on at a level it had not gone on before, and people like it. 
And so you want to be able to have that. You don't want to be at a disadvantage. Even from perspective of, of hedging your risk, you just want to have the complete experience available. So again, if it's something you can do, you want to have that optionality and you want to make the outdoor dining experience exceptional. Think creatively so that you can go into the colder months. People have enjoyed that. People like that opportunity. You want to incorporate that into your concept. You want to design a menu from the beginning that is scalable. What do I mean by that? If we're heading into a great moment in time for this space, depending upon what your goals are, if your goal is to just have a single restaurant, run it, have it as your family business, have it as your business, and you want to have that concept and have it as a standalone, that's absolutely awesome. That's great. But if you have an idea where you feel that you want to scale it, you want to make sure from the beginning that your menu is a scalable concept that can be deployed in many different locations, different contexts. Therefore, you want to keep complexity to a minimum. You want to have the number of selections really dialed in to reinforce your brand. But you want to think about the menu from the very beginning based upon what your goals are. It all is going to circle back from your goal. One thing that's very important, I think, to think of from the beginning, which really will help a lot of restaurants that are starting now because you're going to be building it into your foundation is design your concept with your staff, with how you do things in your business from the beginning to accommodate virtual kitchens. Let's say you found the perfect location to open up a sports bar and you've done that and it's great. You have great fans, great customers, you have great traction, you have great location. You want to be able to have a kitchen staff your cook, your chef, the rest of your team, able to design other types of cuisine so that you can have a virtual menu that offers Italian food, a virtual menu that offers Mexican food, a virtual menu that offers any type of cuisine where there is not enough supply to meet demand where you've opened your restaurants. So let's say that you open up a sports bar in an area and there's really no great Italian restaurant. Well, if you can train your chef and your kitchen staff to make great Italian food or great acai bowls or great poke bowls or great smoothies, whatever there's lacking in your community, if you can have your team able to execute on that type of cuisine you put that up as a virtual menu. That's where you can use the third-party apps to your advantage. You've already got your successful brick and mortar. You're layering onto it an additional revenue stream. You're already profitable with your brick and mortar. But what's great about this is you're doing it from the beginning. So keep that in mind. When you open it up, you want to have that optionality. I keep hearkening back to optionality because... You know, I think one of the concepts that's probably the least attractive to me doesn't mean they're going to be dinosaurs. In fact, they're going to probably thrive as well. Our traditional multi-course Michelin star restaurants that only serve dinner, things of that nature, are they going to exist? Of course they're going to exist. Like I just said, they may be more popular than ever. There's an enormous demand for that enormous demand. But if I was going to invest in the space right now, or if I was looking to open up a restaurant in that space, I wouldn't want to limit myself to that. I just think it's just too risky. And even if it's not risky, I just think you're leaving too much money on the table. I think the name of the game going forward with a restaurant is you want to be able to generate revenue from each and every aspect of your business. You want to generate revenue from the food, from the cocktails, from the takeout, from the delivery, from the virtual menus, from the catering, from any revenue stream you can. This is a business. 
And now is the best time ever to really think about it as such so you can scale your concept from the ground up to achieve that objective. So my feeling is if you're really a hardcore high-end chef and you want to open up a spot and go for that Michelin star, you can be and probably will be wildly successful if the food is great, the location's great, all that stuff, and you'll make money. You just recognize that you're limiting your optionality there. That's just something to consider. doesn't mean it's a bad business. Uh, it's just something to consider and, and recognize that you're doing it. And then finally, and I've done a podcast episode on this also several months ago, from the beginning, you're getting into a business that has the opportunity to be very profitable, very successful, very scalable, but you need to run it as a business from the very beginning. Know your numbers as much as possible. Focus on them as much as possible. You can never go wrong with a higher level of granularity. The more you understand the numbers of your business, the better decisions you're going to make. And I think this crop of entrepreneurs and restaurateurs that are coming are going to be people that are much more focused on the business and data side of things than perhaps people were in this space going back 10 or 20 years. That's a good thing. You've got to get really focused on that from day one. Make sure you do it. Second of all, from day one, you want to do everything you can to promote your brand. You want to use every social media channel that's appropriate. You want to set up a YouTube channel. You want to maximize any and all tools at your disposal to promote your restaurant. Because remember, we're in a world now, particularly if you open up a concept that has got a multitude of optionality to it, you want to promote in any and every way you can, because you might build up a ton of people who love coming to your spot for pickup, another group of people that love your happy hour, another group of people that love the breakfast, whatever it is, start from the beginning, putting a lot of great content out there throughout all of the social media platforms. I've found that for our space, Instagram is still number one. I think TikTok is really catching up. I think Facebook is there and it's relevant. I think Twitter can be there depending upon how you position yourself. But you want to be putting out great content from the beginning. The other thing you want to do right from the beginning, really become a part of the community in which your business is located. We've learned that over the past 10 months. There's no substitute for a loyal customer base. There's no substitute for community. And the time to build those bonds within the community that you operate is right when you open. Because those are bonds that are going to strengthen over time. And it's something that you want to have as part of your core discipline when you open. I've gone into this in other podcasts. But just want to refresh it now. Be a part of the community and do so from day one. And then finally, put people first. What we've gone through over the past 10 months it's really of paramount importance that we appreciate each other and we appreciate our humanity, that we're kind to each other, that we operate from a, a place of, of real kindness and empathy and appreciation. And when you're starting your business, beginning with your staff, then to your customers, just make it the core foundation to treat everybody with as much kindness and as much consideration as possible. It's not just some sort of feel good concept. It's elemental to being successful in business and successful in life. And if you go into your opening of your restaurant, and let's say your vision is to scale it across your entire state or your entire country, you're going to need the people that are with you in the beginning to be your biggest fans and supporters as you grow. So just remember to put people first. That's the most important aspect of this industry that we're in hospitality. 
is the people. You make that a core focus of your business from the beginning. You're doing yourself a huge favor. So in any event, those are my thoughts as to why I think now is the best time to be opening up a, a restaurant in the past several decades. I would love to know your thoughts, if you agree with me, if you disagree with me, if you have anything to add on as to what I was saying. So please email me at stephen at wilcofoods.com or you can DM me on our Instagram at wilcofoods. I always enjoy hearing from everyone. Really appreciate those of you that are recommending the podcast and enjoying the podcast. Would love it if you would give it a review, give it a rating, would really help us out. And if you know people that would be interested in this content, please recommend it to them. But uh, most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net.